We now come to Prime Minister's questions. Limbrom. Number one, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I know the whole House will want to thank the emergency services for their ongoing response to the shocking incident in Nottingham yesterday. Our thoughts are with those injured and with the families of those who lost their lives. Today is also the sixth anniversary of the Grenfell Tower fire. We remember the 72 people who lost their lives and remain as committed as ever to ensuring that such a tragedy can never happen again. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Grateful, Mr Speaker. Can I associate myself with the words of the Prime Minister? Our hearts are with the City of Nottingham, and we also remember those 72 killed at Grenfell and support those still fighting for justice and safe homes. According to the Office of National Statistics, in January food prices were rising at 16.8% a year. The most recent figures show food prices rising by a whopping 19.1%, making a mockery of his pledge to halve inflation. Does he honestly think people won't notice? Mr Speaker, of, of course I acknowledge that the cost of living is rising for families, and that is why my first priority at the beginning of the year is to halve inflation. I am pleased to say that inflation is now falling, and in the latest set of estimates we remain on track uh, to do so. With regard to food prices, we are not alone in experiencing high food price inflation, like many other countries in Europe. That is why the Chancellor has already spoken to the CMA, who are looking at the grocery industry, and we continue to support families with the cost of living, notably by paying half of their energy bills. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, it is a fact that Labour have never left government with unemployment lower than when they came in. And Figures released yesterday show that there are now four million more people in work than when Labour were last in power. Does the Prime Minister agree that the security of a good job will always be better than Labour's dependency culture? Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is absolutely right uh, to point out Labour's poor record on jobs. And yesterday's figures showed that the UK economy is resilient, with the number of people in employment now at a record level, Mr Speaker. By no means complacent, but the inactivity rate continues to fall and the unemployment rate remains at historically low levels. That is a Conservative government delivering for our country. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. I join with the Prime Minister in his comments about the terrible attack in Nottingham yesterday and in tribute to the work of our emergency services. The thoughts of the whole House are with the victims and the people of that great city. I also join him in remembering the 72 people who lost their lives in the Grenfell Tower fire. The victims and their families are always in our hearts, but six years on, the justice they're fighting for is long overdue. Mr Speaker, all across the country, people are worried about their bills, the price of the weekly shop and the spiralling mortgage rates. So why has the Tory party spent this last week arguing over which of them gets a peerage? Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, 
my, my points on this are, are very clear. In line with a long-established convention of previous Prime Ministers having the ability to submit honours, I followed the process to the letter in convention with long-standing process. It is, it is, by the way, Mr Speaker, a long-standing convention that Prime Ministers on both sides of this House have followed in the same way that I did. Starmer. Mr Speaker, the, the truth is, for all his tough talk after the event, the Prime Minister did sign off the honours list. And that means, that means, Mr Speaker, that those who threw a Downing Street party the night before the late Queen sat alone at her husband's funeral will now receive awards from the King. If he's so tough, why didn't he block it? Mr Speaker, as I said, I and the Government follow due process and convention. Prime Ministers, Prime Ministers of both parties have always upheld the convention of non-interference on political honours. My predecessors may not have agreed with Labour's choices of Tom Watson or Shami Chakrabarti, but the same, but the same precedent Mr Speaker, the same precedent stood then as it does now, and I'd expect a knight like him to understand that. I think we will have more if we carry on. It will be more outside rather than in here. Keir Starmer. Honour should be for public service, not Tory cronies. Mr Speaker, isn't this the case? He was too weak to block Johnson's list. And that also means that those who spent their time helping cover up Johnson's law-breaking are rewarded by becoming lawmakers for the rest of their lives. Is his message to the British public, if you don't like it, tough? Mr Speaker, it's right that we use the honour system to recognise people, almost 2,000 people a year from members of the England Lionesses team to the first Asian police officer in Greater Manchester. But he talks, he talks about putting people in the House of Lords. Perhaps he could explain why he put forward for a peerage the former MP, Labour MP Tom Watson, who spread vicious conspiracy theories that were totally and utterly untrue, damaged public discourse and inflicted misery on innocent people. Quiet. Can I just say to the Prime Minister, you shouldn't criticise other members. Also, you're not responsible for the other parties. You are the Prime Minister that's answering the questions, not asking the questions. Here's some. Order, 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 order. order. Is somebody wanting to challenge my decision? Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the truth is the country is paying the price of this endless cycle of chaos and distraction. The Tory economic crash means that millions of mortgage holders will pay thousands of pounds more next year, and the blame lies squarely at the door of a government more focused on the internal wars of the Tory party than the needs of the country. Does he not think that those responsible should hang their heads in shame? Mr Speaker, as I said right at the beginning of the session, our number one economic priority is to reduce inflation so that we can restrain the increase 
in interest rates. But one thing we know that we need to do to do that is to reduce our borrowing and debt, Mr Speaker. That's how we will bring interest and mortgage rates down. But last week, what did we see? Labour confusion with the Shadow Chancellor attempting to water down their plans to borrow £28 billion more a year. But she was promptly overruled by the Shadow Energy Secretary, the former leader, who said that they were 100% not abandoning their pledge. It really looks like Labour's offer never changes. It's uncontrolled borrowing and more chaos with Ed Miliband. There's only one party. There's only one party that broke the economy. They're sitting right there. There's a reason. There's a reason they can't fix the problems facing the country because they never take responsibility for the damage that they've done. And it's not just Johnson. The Prime Minister's immediate predecessor is hoping to reward those who made her reign such a rip-roaring success. <laughs> On her honours list are the masterminds of that kamikaze budget, the economic extremists of the Institute of Economic Affairs, those whose disastrous ideas crashed the economy and left the country to pick up the pieces. Will the Prime Minister block that honours list, or will he buckle to her as well? Speaker, well, to, if you want disastrous economic ideas, all you have to do is Labour's economic policy on energy. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's, an, it's an energy policy that seeks to ban all new British oil and gas drilling, Mr. Speaker, jeopardising 200,000 jobs and our energy security at a time of international conflict. Despots like Putin are the only people who will welcome such a policy. His his predecessor once said that he wanted British jobs for British workers. His policy is British jobs for Russian workers. If he spent spent as much time focused on the economy, the NHS and the asylum system as he does haggling with his predecessors about who gets honours, the country would be in a far better state. But once again, he's lost control, and once again, it's working people paying the price. And if he disagrees with that, why not put it to the test? End the boasting, the excuses, the Tory chaos. See if he can finally find somebody, anybody, anywhere to vote for him and call a general election now. Mr Speaker. Mr. Speaker, uh, he, he talked about asylum just this week. Just this week, it was the Labour Party that voted against plans to tackle illegal migration. Just this week, it was the Labour Party that voted against plans to tackle disruptive protesters by their funding eco-zealots, Mr. Speaker. But we're getting on and delivering for the country. We're delivering record employment and the fastest wage growth in years, Mr. Speaker. It's clear only the Conservatives are going to deliver for the people. Of Britain. Mr. Speaker, uh, crime is down significantly and falling. Police officer numbers are at an all time high. But the police funding formula remains elderly and out of date and penalises counties like my own of Hampshire to the tune of many millions of pounds. Previous administrations have made the commitment that a new police funding formula would be in place by the general election. 
Can I invite the Prime Minister to make the same commitment, please? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, recognise that the current police funding formula no longer accurately reflects demands on policing, and that is why the review is carefully considering local factors for each police force. Our priority is to deliver a robust, future-proof funding formula, but it is important that we take the time to get that right, and I know that the Home Office will continue to keep the House updated on our progress. We now come to the Leader of the SNP, Stephen Flynn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I would just like to echo the sentiments of the Prime Minister and indeed the Leader of the Opposition in relation to the terrible incident in Nottingham and indeed our thoughts are with all of those still reeling from the tragedy at Grenfell all these years later. Mr Speaker, during his ill-fated leadership bid late last summer, the Prime Minister warned of the perils of mortgage rate rises. Indeed, he stated, and I quote, it's going to tip millions of people into misery and it's going to mean we have absolutely no chance of winning the next election. (laughs) Given that mortgage rates continue to rise, does he still agree with his own electoral analysis? (laughs) Mr Speaker, which is which is absolutely why our economic policy sets as our number one priority to reduce inflation and thereby bring interest rates, which, by the way, Mr Speaker, have also risen in pretty much every developed economy around the world, more so in places like America and New Zealand, similar in other countries as well, like Australia. But it is important, in order to reduce inflation, that you do need to have control over borrowing, Mr Speaker, which is why we, unlike the party opposite, are disciplined with regard to the public finances. But these are the Issues. These are the issues that we should be focused on. I saw that the SNP yesterday, Mr. Speaker, had a meeting to discuss their future, but the only thing they managed to decide was that they should send Nicola Sturgeon some flowers. So, can he tell us, did he sign the card? Stephen Flynn. Mr. Speaker, respectfully, I think the, the Prime Minister needs to grow up. There is a. There is a and there is an elephant in this here chamber when it comes to the dire economic circumstances facing the UK, and that's Brexit. The Tory benches, they don't want to accept it, and the Labour Party, they don't want to talk about it. But whether it's food prices, energy prices, or indeed mortgage prices, households in Scotland are being shafted by Brexit. So can I ask the Prime Minister, will he apologise for the cycle of misery that Westminster has caused? Mr Speaker, while his party leader calls Nicola Sturgeon the most impressive politician in Europe, we are getting on delivering for the people of Scotland, Mr Speaker, paying half of their energy bills, making sure that pensions rise, making sure that there is direct support for those who need it with the cost of living, and, crucially, ensuring that we secure over 200,000 jobs by supporting Scotland's North Sea oil and gas industry, something opposed by his party. Carl McCartney. Good afternoon, Speaker. Lincoln will soon benefit from £20 million worth of levelling up funding to deliver a traffic bridge over the railway to stop the city being permanently gridlocked by the Labour City Council's huge western growth corridor, Housing Island. This is truly levelling up for areas of the north in action. Will my right honourable friend affirm his commitment to my Lincoln constituents and businesses that he and his government will continue to help level up Lincoln and other areas in the north of our great country? 
my, uh, my honourable friend is a fantastic advocate for his constituents. I'm glad that he and Lincoln City Council were successful in their £20 million levelling up fund bid. The scheme will see two new bridges built across the railway line, improving access, reducing congestion. I very much look forward to seeing these plans progress, and he and I both share am- an ambition to make sure that we level up not just in Lincoln but across the country. Neil Hamby. The Leader of the Opposition recently ventured out of London visiting my constituency to deliver a One Nation British Labour vision of Scotland. However, he neglected to mention that he intends to continue London's plunder of Scotland's vast energy wealth, just like the Tories, continuing the economic vandalism of Brexit, just like the Tories, and deny Scotland's right to self-determination, just like the Tories. So perhaps the Prime Minister can tell me which London party leader is the greatest threat to Scottish demar- democracy? The Tory to my right or the Tory to my left? Mr Speaker, I apologise because I didn't hear fully that the, uh, the Honourable Gentleman's question, but I did, I, from what I could gather, I think, I think he probably agrees with me that the Leader of the Opposition is not the right person to lead our country. Theresa Villiers. Worried about the cost of living. Will the Prime Minister agree that it is completely wrong for Labour to be introducing new ULES drug Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Speaker, my right honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this important issue. While we are getting on providing significant support to families uh, with the cost of living, the Labour Mayor of London, to whom transport has dissolved, is busily putting it up, imposing the ULES charge against the overwhelming views of residents and businesses. It is disappointing he is not listening to the British public and the public in outer London. But what's even more, his plan to raise costs on working families is totally backed by the Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, new data from the End Child Poverty Coalition and Loughborough University are shown that your government's austerity measures have plunged 4.2 million children into poverty, 70% of them in working households. In Liverpool, Riverside, 42% are living in poverty, up 7% since 2015. So can the Prime Minister commit to scrapping the cruel and ineffectual two-child limit to lift 250,000 children out of poverty and meet with anti-poverty organisations. Mr Speaker, I'd just like to gently point out to the Honourable Lady that there are in fact 400,000 fewer children in absolute poverty than in 2010. And we also know, Mr Speaker, that work is the best route out of poverty for families. So with employment, as we saw yesterday, at record levels, I'm pleased that there are now over 600,000 fewer children in workless households in 2010. On the specific policy that she raises, it actually ensures fairness, Mr Speaker, by asking families on benefits to make the same financial decisions as families supporting themselves solely through work. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, earlier this week, the all-party group on coalfield communities published our report into next steps in levelling up the former coalfield communities, which I know the Prime Minister has received a copy of in his inbox. 
Uh, as a proud MP for Newcastle under Lyme, I'm delighted with the funding that we've had from government through the Future High Streets Fund and the town deal, but there's always more to do. So will the Prime Minister commit to reading our report, carefully considering our recommendations and working out what more we can do to level up our coalfield communities across the whole of the United Kingdom? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I very much welcome the work of the APPG for coalfield communities and indeed the breadth and ambition of their policy contributions. We are committed to levelling up the UK by spreading opportunity more equally across the country, investing in and empowering places that need it the most and including coalfield communities. And I look forward to discussing and hearing from the honourable gentleman further. Wendy Chamberlain. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My vulnerable constituent, whose finances are held in trust, was wrongly billed £4,000 by two energy companies that now no longer exist as a result of the energy market crisis. Um, Energy is one of the most basic services, and there is no charter of rights for consumers. We still don't have this resolved. Does the Prime Minister agree that we need such a charter? Mr Speaker, I'll happily ensure that the appropriate minister writes the Honourable Lady with a specific response on her constituents so we can try and resolve that issue. Gary Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, recently, the Independent Regulator for Social Housing issued a, state, uh, a notice against Birmingham City Council for the state of its social housing, with 23,000 homes not meeting the decent home standard, so over 17,000 homes not receiving asbestos checks, over 15,000 houses not having electrical safety checks, and over 1,000 homes not having fire risk assessments. Rather refreshingly and honestly and astonishingly, a leaked Labour memo put the blame for this at the heart of the Labour group in Birmingham. And so, does the Prime Minister agree with me, um, Mr Speaker, that it's time that we have serious intervention in Birmingham to make sure that people can have decent homes to live in? Mr Speaker, the failings identified in Birmingham are wholly unacceptable. The regulator for social housing has made clear that Birmingham must take immediate action to address those issues and will be monitoring the Council's progress closely. I also understand that the Secretary of State has requested a meeting with Birmingham City Council and will be holding them to account. David Hamilton. Mr Speaker, Ilkley Homes builds thousands of modular houses every year in its factory near Leeds many of which are completely carbon zero, meaning no bills at all for residents. But today it is facing the prospect of collapse, putting 4,200 future homes and 1,500 current jobs at risk. Now, given that the Home Builders Federation says new housing units could drop to just 120,000 next year, does the Prime Minister now accept that his government's scrapping of housing targets was the wrong decision? Well, Mr Speaker, it wouldn't be right for me to comment on the circumstance of any individual company, but what I can say is I make absolutely no apology for respecting, respecting what local communities want in their local areas. Whilst the party opposite may want to ride roughshod over the views of local communities and impose top-down housing targets and carpet over the green belt, that is not something that this government will do. Robert Port. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As we speak, the Royal Air Force is operating the Hercules Farewell Flypast over all parts of the UK. For over 107 years, my constituents of 47 Squadron have defended our country, including over 50 operating the legendary Hercules. Now, as the Squadron stands down, would my right honourable friend join the whole House in paying tribute to this remarkable record of service of this amazing Squadron? They're all men and women who have made their country proud. 
Well, Mr Speaker, I join my honourable friend in paying tribute to 47 Squadron. Their association with the Hercules now stretches for 45 years. And although their vital work at the heart of defence has often been unheralded, the squadron has served with professionalism and distinction throughout. I think the whole House will join me in saying that the personnel and clues can be rightly proud, and they have our full thanks. Mr Speaker, my constituent Sarah has been let down by this government. Her elderly father, a veteran living with cancer, has developed serious heart problems. His next appointment is scheduled for November. In the cost of living crisis, my constituent paid for private care, as he cannot wait five months for an appointment. He has now been diagnosed with heart failure. This is the reality of Tory Britain. Elderly and sick people neglected and turned away. The Conservatives have broken the NHS and they have broken Britain. The British public deserves so much better. Only the Labour Party can deliver this. So when will the Prime Minister call a general election? Mr. Mr. Speaker, I am very sorry to hear about, I believe it was Sarah's father, uh, and I hope he has a speedy and gets all the treatment that he needs. Um, with, regard, uh, with regard to the NHS, Mr. Speaker, we're investing record sums in the NHS, but also with more doctors, more nurses, more diagnostic scans to identify cancers earlier, and with elective surgical hubs to get the wait lists down. We're starting to see progress, having practically eliminated those work- waiting 18 months, uh, but there is more work to do, Mr. Speaker, and I'm pleased that the NHS is fully supporting our plan and getting on with delivering it for people. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Can I thank the Prime Minister and the Health Secretary for the recent announcement that the Epsom and St Helier NHS Trust can proceed with plans to improve and upgrade St Helier and build a brand new hospital in Sutton. Now, the NHS Trust is really ready to go. They're further along than other trusts in that cohort. So can the Prime Minister assure me that when the trust is ready to go, the Treasury and the Government will be ready to give the green light to them as well? Prime Minister. Well, can I thank my uh, honourable friend for all his uh, campaigning and focus on this issue for his constituents. We remain committed to the new hospital scheme for the Epson and St Helier University Hospitals Trust. It will deliver brand new state-of-the-art facilities as part of our new hospital programme. I know the department are working closely with the trust to make sure that we can progress works as soon as possible and expect the new hospital to be delivered by 2030. Mr Brenda Sharma. Throughout the war in Ukraine, the largest mobile operator, QSTAR, has kept its services operating at 93% and is investing millions in Ukraine's recovery. Will the Prime Minister, therefore, use next week's Ukraine Recovery Conference to bring together governments and the businesses to invest in Ukraine's telecoms recovery and ensure the people of Ukraine are kept connected with their loved ones through the, throughout the war. Yeah. Prime Minister. Can I thank my uh, honourable friend for the very thoughtful and powerful question. He's absolutely right about the aim of next week's Ukraine Recovery Conference Summit, which we're very proud to be hosting. And indeed, the theme of that summit is how to bring in private capital to help rebuild Ukraine after this devastating war. And I join him in paying tribute to all those companies who, in the face of the onslaught that they are seeing, are providing essential services for the people of Ukraine. They deserve our absolute admiration and support. Sally, I'm hot. 
Mr Speaker, last week we acknowledged and celebrate carers, of which there are thousands across beautiful Hastings and Rye. Would the Prime Minister join me in thanking them all for their priceless value and congratulate Hastings Voluntary Action and the Isabel Blackman Centre in receiving local care for the Carers Awards for their support of unpaid carers in our communities and the outstanding CQC-rated Radfield Home Care in Hastings, which recently won a national award? Prime Minister. I join my honourable friend in congratulating carers in her constituency for all their awards. I'm also incredibly proud of our health and care staff across the country and recognise their extraordinary commitment. And I'd also like to pay tribute to unpaid carers and young carers for all that they are doing in Hastings and across our nation. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Funding to bring desperately needed inpatient mental health beds to Bedford is sitting in the bank account of our local mental health trust, not to be touched because of this government's ridiculous capital spending limits. So will the Prime Minister will meet with East London Foundation Trust apply some common sense and find a way to release the cash to get this mental health unit built so my constituents don't have to travel miles to access services. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, we are investing record sums in NHS capital and particularly I can tell the honourable member that we're putting more money into mental health services and taking more action than any previous government. At the heart of the NHS long-term plan is the largest expansion of mental health services in a generation. I'll ensure that the appropriate minister writes to him with an update on the conversations between his trust and their local capital plans. Henry Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. What assessment has the Prime Minister made of the Eurozone being in recession and the UK economy experiencing growth? Mr Speaker, as we've seen recently, it's not just the OBR, but the OECD, the Bank of England and the IMF, who have all upgraded the growth forecast for the UK economy. Whilst the party opposite may want to talk it down, it's the Conservatives that are delivering. Minister, 39 women have died violently in Northern Ireland since 2017. Police are called to domestic violence incident every 16 minutes, and ours is now one of the most dangerous regions in Europe uh, to be a woman. Stormont has consulted on a strategy to tackle violence against women, but there are no ministers to take it forward. The outstanding Women's Aid Foundation Federation learned last month that their core funding is being taken away. In the demoralising absence of a government, will the Prime Minister work with me and others to ensure that strategy is enacted and funded so that we can tackle the cultures and behaviours that are having such devastating impacts on women in Northern Ireland? Well, Mr Speaker, I join with the Honourable Lady in saying that it's absolutely right that we do everything to stamp out violence against women and girls. That's why the Government passed the landmark Domestic Abuse Act, set up a 24-7 victim line and quadruple funding for victim support. She's also right to highlight, though, that the people of Northern Ireland are not getting the local government that they need and deserve, and I want to see that as much as she does, and I'll continue to work hard to bring that about. Philip Davis. One of the socialist landmines the Prime Minister has inherited from the uh, former member for Uxbridge and South Ryslip, uh, I'm sure the Prime Minister remembers him, he's the one who said that we should be more conservative. If only he'd had a, a majority of 80 and been Prime Minister, he might have been able to do something about it. Uh, but if, um, 
one of the one of the landmines he, he left behind was the idiotic triumph for the nanny state of banning buy one get one free and other special offers on products that the department of health thought was unhealthy now at the best of times that is an idiotic triumph for the nanny state but during a cost of living crisis it is utterly bonkers so can i ask the prime minister if he will intervene pursue a more conservative agenda, as the former member for Uxbridge would want him to do, and scrap this ridiculous policy. Yeah. Yeah, Minister. Well, um, can, I, can I thank my uh, honourable friend? He, he, he's long highlighted uh, this policy, which is why, uh, after I took office, given the concerns that he and others had raised about the impact on the cost of living, we already have, as he know, postponed the introduction of this policy. No final decisions have been made, but I'll continue to take what he said very seriously in all our deliberations. Stephen Doherty. Mr Speaker, uh, Citizens Advice Cymru have told me of soaring numbers of people coming to them struggling with housing affordability. And Last year, the monthly cost of a new mortgage rose by 61% for the average semi-detached house, and most fixed-rate mortgages coming to an end in this current 12-month period were set at interest rates below 2%. So the crisis will worsen for homeowners and renters. So what advice does the Prime Minister have for my constituents suffering the consequences of Tory economic chaos? Should they cut back on food, switch off the electric and gas, or get further into Tory-fuelled expensive debt? Mr Speaker, our number one priority is to halve inflation so we can reduce the upward pressure on interest rates. Uh, His constituents should should know that what would make that task absolutely worse is his party's plans for tens of billions of pounds of unfunded borrowing, which would just exacerbate the situation. But what I would say is for those homeowners that are worried, what they can do is ask for help through the Support for Mortgage Interest Payment Scheme, which has recently been adjusted. That support is there available for them. And my honourable friend, the Chancellor, has spoken with the FCA to ensure that banks treat all those in the difficulty with the fairness and compassion that they need. Dr Kieran Miller. I was pleased to deliver my report into the opportunities provided by Deep Geothermal last week and I'm looking forward to visiting the opening of the Deep Geothermal plant at the Eden Project in the championed by the member for St Austin and Newquay uh, uh, next week. Will the Prime Minister join me in meeting with MPs that want to join him in having the benefits of a deep geothermal plant in their own constituencies? Yeah. Prime Minister. Well, can I thank my honourable friend for his work on this uh, report? I know it's an area that he's rightly passionate about. The government does support the development of geothermal projects in the UK, providing it can be done at an acceptable cost to consumers and in an environmentally friendly manner. I will ensure that he gets a meeting with a relevant minister to discuss his report and ideas further. Lillian Greenwood. Mr Speaker, Nottingham is devastated by the senseless attacks that took place on our streets yesterday. The thoughts and prayers of the whole city are with the family and friends of those killed and with those injured. It is absolutely heartbreaking to see the pictures of University of Nottingham students Barnaby and Grace whose young lives so full of potential have been tragically cut short. As ever, we thank the emergency services who acted quickly and courageously to save lives. Will the Prime Minister ensure that his government provides the police, the universities and others in our city with everything that they need to support our constituents following these horrendous events? Mr Speaker, like the rest of the country, I've been moved by the heartbreaking tributes from their loved ones. 
This is an extraordinarily difficult time and every parent's worst nightmare. The hearts of the whole country are with the families and all those who have lost their lives. Uh, as the Honourable Lady will, I'm sure, understand, I can't comment further at this stage, given there's an ongoing situation, but the Home Secretary will be making a statement after Prime Minister's questions. Final question, David Simmons. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Mr Speaker, my constituents in Ickenham and South Harefield benefit enormously from the work of the police based in the nearby Uxbridge Police Station, which only remains open because of the campaign by the Conservative-led Council to stop the Mayor of London from closing it down. Does my right honourable friend agree that as we invest in more police, those police need good local police stations to work from? Minister. Mr Thieke, I think my, uh, my honourable friend uh, put the point very well. Whether it's campaigning to keep open their local police station or indeed opposing the ULES charge would put up costs for hard-working families, it's the Conservatives in Uxbridge that are delivering for their community. That